Foundation, mine is to thank you. You've been very patient with me. For those who have been praying, I'm about to end the series. <laughs> and uh, yes, uh, but, but here is my hope, here is my prayer, um, that you've not refrained from engaging in sometimes what is very difficult territory. I know the things we've asked you to do from the pulpit are not easy things. Uh, they are difficult things. And um, even as you converse around the question of what choices have you made, um, because these have an effect, a ripple effect, in terms of not just your life now, but uh, your heritage, your posterity. People who will come decades from today, maybe a few hundred years from now, but are in your lineage, but there are choices you made that caused the Lord's blessings to come upon them and to follow them. Those are critical things. When we talked about choices, you remember what we said. Uh, there are choices people like Ruth made. Um, there are choices, not Ruth. Um, yes, Ruth. I was watching a movie on Queen Esther, so I thought I was mixing things. Yeah. Um, and the Boaz story. The story, one of the greatest stories of redemption ever told. But because of certain choices, uh, we know that she gets incorporated into the lineage of Messiah. In, in, literally, um, a thousand years later from the time the events happened. It's incredible when you think about how God does things. So, so the little actions you do are not insignificant. They mean something. And it's not just about you and your immediate generation. The power of choice. I hope you've not refrained from addressing the difficult questions of kindness. Whether you've refrained from it or engaged in it. And where it has been denied you that you have not used that as an experience to pass on unkindness and even cruelty to other people. Because some of those things require some very difficult decisions. The decision to be kind. Especially if you have habitually fallen into a habit of unkindness. Fits of anger and fits of violence. Inflicting pain on people you're supposed to protect. Causing wounds. There are people walking around. We can only address them as wounded spirits. Because you restrained your kindness from them. And life dealt a hard blow on them. And they have become angry and bitter because of it. The hard work of choosing to stop being that and start being something else. Because it is possible. It's part of Reclaiming the image of God in us. Refusing to settle for mediocrity and saying I was made for better things than this. I should not be in this kind of company, not in these kinds of relationships that directly mitigate against the command of God. To look at yourself in a tough way. Look at the man or the woman in the mirror 
And if you don't like what you see, you have the capacity, the ability, the choice to change what you see. Because that's the power that is given to us by God. To reclaim the image, the broken fragments of the mirror, and go to the creator and tell him, Lord, remake me, reform me. I am willing. Here I am. What a tragedy it would be if after 13 or 14 months or weeks of the family series, you reverted and resorted to the path of least resistance because you lacked the discipline, the faith, and the courage to walk the road that is less traveled. The road of courage, the road of choice, the road of purpose. To change, if not your destiny, the destiny of your posterity. To leave a legacy so that others who come after you don't have to undergo the pain or the shame of some of the paths that we have walked in. That is in your hands, not in God's hands. The Lord's work is very easy. It's to tell you, choose life that you may live because there are other choices. And my work is to proclaim, thus says the Lord. Not just to you, but to myself, because these things are taught to me first before I bring them to you. We are all under God's command. No one is exempt. I have choices to make just like you do. I have kindness to give. There are things I must stop doing and things I must start doing. That's mine to do. No one can do that for me. Not my wife, not my children, no one. The hard work of choosing to walk the dark paths of forgiveness. With all the pain, with all the anger that it brings. Again, that is your Christian duty to do before God. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's the only way that we get the right to say the Lord's Prayer. Otherwise, we forfeit our right to forgiveness by retaining anger, bitterness, and vengefulness in our hearts. I pray that God will give you the courage to do the right thing. The word of God is a mirror, James, the brother of Jesus, tells us. And when it is reflected, when you look at the word of God, it's a perfect mirror that reflects back your exact image as God sees you. And so he, if he has pointed some issues out inside, as we have done the series, and I know he has, he says, don't be like a person who comes and looks at themselves in a mirror and immediately they turn away and they forget how they look like. The reason you have a mirror is to help you make a course adjustment. And we do that all the time. If there's a hair that is off you, style it. You get to see yourself in a perspective, in a mirror, the way you can't look at yourself because it shows you that's the word of God. That's why we do what we do. How sad it would be to come to the end of the series and you revert 
to the path of least resistance because that's what you're used to. No, no, I just have a temper. Sometimes I lose it. Really? Well, go get some help. You know that that is not normal. Oh, you know I have struggled with lust since I was a teenager. So I don't know what comes over me. You know what comes over you. It's lust. You've just said it. So go deal with it. Get help. There are people who are specialized in these areas. But refusing to go and get help just shows there has been no change and there's no desire to become more like God or to recreate, to be created in the image of the one who loves you. But what you lose is way more than what you think. It's not just your peace and joy. Literally, there is no future. And you've curtailed the future of those who would have come after you. Fellow image bearers who would have lived to glorify God and enjoy and fulfill their purpose. But because they had a selfish forefather, foremother, parent, who would not discipline themselves for the sake of those who are to come. Sadly, they either will not exist or they will exist in the shadows of life, never fulfilling their purpose for which they were created. So I pray for you even as I pray for myself, that God will give you the courage to do the hard work, to make the right choices, to be the man or the woman that God called you to be, to fulfill your purpose, to bring glory and honor to his name, but above all, to give yourself and those to come after you a future that can be called a future. I say this because as we are coming to an end, um, Kenyans, we are very good at moving on swiftly. And by next week, you don't even remember there was a family series. Or that there was hard work that needed to be done. And that there were wounded souls that needed to be apologized to. Or that there are decisions that you needed to make before God on your knees, in tears, like Joseph. To either embrace those who have wronged you, and to release them and give them the freedom that they need to go on living their lives. Or people that we needed to humble ourselves before and say, please forgive me. What I did was wrong, I realize it. Would you forgive me? Well then, today we will try to finish the story. And uh, what, what we have before us is, uh, of course, we've looked at the man Joseph and the incredible journey that he walked. And now he's in the process of what we call the forgiveness journey. And we say that at a human level, um, what Joseph has done is to orchestrate a series of activities that would reveal to him the heart of his brothers. Who are they? Who have they become? It's been a long time since they have been together. Him, he has already adapted into Egyptian uh, culture. Uh, for all practical purposes, they, he's an Egyptian. But his brothers are here. Uh, he can still remember the language. He can hear them talk but he doesn't reveal himself to, to them. And what he does is resort to a series of what looks like tricks to reveal what is behind their heart. At one point, when they give money to they come to buy grain, he um, authorizes for their money to be put back in their sacks, and then when they go home, they realize, hi, the money is here. They are scared. They think this is a way of God judging them. They don't know how the money gets back, and yet they paid it. 
But to Joseph, by the time they come back and he sees they've returned with double portions of the money, he knows that somehow God has made honest men of them. They didn't retain that portion of the money, but they came with what they should have paid plus the new money. So already he can begin to see there's a journey of transformation that God must have walked with his brothers. They are now looking like they are different men. Ultimately, he executes what is um, uh, the last test. And it has to do with his kid brother, uh, Benjamin. And what he did is he retained one of them, detained them, and told them, unless you come with your kid brother, Benjamin, you will not again see my face. He wanted to know whether their stories add up. They had told him they still have an older brother. I mean, they, they have a father, an elderly father, that they have a kid bro who cannot be parted from the father. So he must have been curious. Is this guy still there? Is he alive? Did they do him a turn like they wanted to do me? You know? So he insists that they must come back with him. And of course, they come back with Benjamin. He's overwhelmed with emotion. He has to go into his private chambers to, to weep and then collect himself and then come and start addressing them. So at least he knows the stories are beginning to hold together. So, um, and this is the part of doing, he's doing his due diligence because he will come to a point of complete forgiveness. The last test um, is, is, is when they depart for the last time to go back with the grain that they had purchased, having brought back the double portion of, um, of, of the money that they had. It should have been a great day because he has seen the kid brother is there, everybody's well, the story is holding together, the father is still alive. So to, for the last test, he takes, he asks one of his servants to hide his precious cup, silver cup, inside Benjamin's sack. And then after they've gone for a while, the servant is to go and intercept them and make a search and of course discover that they have stolen his cup. And so we'll pick the story from there and see what, what is he really doing um, and what does this reveal of the whole process of forgiveness. We pick the story from uh, Genesis 44, verse 6. I'll read quickly. we we'll see how much we can go through. When, they, when he overtook them, now the servant, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. They've been accused of stealing Joseph's cup. Behold the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? It doesn't make sense. Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. And we also will be my Lord's servants. This is an offer they make. He said, let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, which really means slave, okay? And the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack, lo and behold. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. Of course, he's waiting. The whole thing is choreographed. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? Meaning he can divine who it is that has stolen. You know, that's how he has been uh, intercepted them. 
And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. So, so Joseph is playing a, a very complex game here. He wants to see the heart of the brothers. These are the guys who sold him into slavery. Have they really changed? And, and when the rubber, where really the rubber meets the road, will they give up Benjamin like they gave him up and take their freedom and head back home? He really wants to know, have their hearts truly changed? And this process here begins what we call the, redemp the redemption of Judah. Uh, Judah up to this point wasn't a very nice guy. It is him who came up with the idea, okay, let's not kill him, but let's sell him. Let's make some money out of this deal. And they sell him for 20 pieces of silver. So he wasn't a really good guy. He profited from the misery of his brother, so to speak. So it's very interesting that the initiative here is coming now, not even from the firstborn, you know, this is now coming from Judah. Judah is like number four in terms of, you know, the hierarchy of, of the brothers. But, but here, the firstborn is, is, is quiet, and, and so are the rest of them. But he is now taking the role, like almost of the firstborn, and he's now speaking on behalf of his brothers. Remember, it is also him who made the pledge before his father, Israel. Uh, Jacob, and told him, give me Benjamin. I will take personal responsibility for his safe return. And if I do not return him safely to you, then I will bear the guilt on my life for the rest of my life. So it, it, it's a very interesting change of heart that is willing to trade his own freedom um, for the sake of the freedom of his brother Benjamin. Again, an interesting aspect about it is that when the search is made, at this point, they have no idea how the cup got into Benjamin's, um, you know, Benjamin's sack. They don't know it's a, it's a ploy. They don't know it's a ruse that J Joseph is uh, orchestrating. So for all practical purposes, Benjamin Kidbro has become a kamuizi. You know, he has stolen. And, and, and he should have turned to him and said, what is the matter with you, you know? How could you take the cup? What, what, what's the deal with you? Now see what you have done, you know? Now because of you, we are all in trouble. There's no blame. They don't point a finger. In fact, Judah doesn't even speak to Benjamin, which is odd. Because that's where the cup was. And for all practical purposes, then Benjamin must have stolen the cup. But instead, Judah steps up. He takes full responsibility. He says, look, we are guilty before God. Okay? We're guilty before. We admit. We have no defense. How can we defend ourselves? Now, we, plus our brother, will become your servants. He's willing to take that blame. And he says, it's not just him. We're going to share his guilt. Which is an amazing thing. To imagine, he's willing to share the guilt of his brother without accusing the brother. And he himself to become a servant and he offers the other brothers as well. At Hawa, we will be your slaves. Then the offer is made. 
You know, Joseph says, no, I'm a just man. I don't do things like that. You guys haven't done anything wrong. This is the guy. This is the man I want. He will become my slave. And now the ultimate redemption of Judah comes. And he begins to retell the story of how they got to where they are today. This is what he says. Then Judah went up to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears. And let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. You know that approach is amazing. The humility actually is not even humility. It's like his personal humiliation. He reduces himself to nothing. You know, let me whisper, pardon me, my Lord. And he repeatedly um, diminishes himself in the sight of Joseph. He's doing everything he can to ensure that he gets the favor of Joseph because of what he's about to propose. And what makes it even more shocking is that what he's going to propose is not a, an unfair trade. He wants to sacrifice himself for the sake of his brother. But he really wants Joseph to take, you know, um, to grant him favor so that he allows him to do what he's asking. So he even says, you are like Pharaoh himself. Um, let me whisper, let me speak a word in my Lord's ear and let your anger not burn against your servant. So he's trying everything to appease Joseph. My Lord asked his servants, saying, have you a father or a brother? And he said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then he said to, uh, uh, you say to your, uh, to your servants, bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We say to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father should, would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, he told him, we told him the words of my Lord. He's very careful. He never mentions him by name. He always calls him my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Very accurate recollection of the conversation. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he to pieces, and I have never seen him since. So Joseph is also receiving a bit of the backstory of what was regarding what happened to him. Have been torn to pieces. He didn't know this part of the story. He didn't to to Israel what happened to him. You know, they just brought the evidence of of, of the torn 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 whatever. So he says, this, "If you take this one also from me, and harm happens, bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol, or the place of the dead." Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as his servant is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. So he's, he's witnessing here the transformation of, the, of these brothers. And he's looking at Judah and hearing Judah's testimony about Judah's concern, not just for Benjamin, but Judah's concern for Israel or Jacob, their father. 
And he says, you know, I, I can't do this to my dad. It's, 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 it's beyond, it will be too sorrowful, it will be too sad. He's already lost one son. We cannot afford that he loses Benjamin, you know. So you, you can't retain Benjamin. That's what he, this is the pitch he's making. And he starts from far. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. So I've taken it on myself. It's me and my life that is at stake. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. So this completes his redemption and his transformation as a man. From the guy who wouldn't think twice about benefiting from the suffering of his own brother. To a man who pleaded and asked to be taken into slavery so that Benjamin could be freed. Very difficult choices. Incredibly kind. And it's amazing that this is the same Judah. And from this point onwards, something significant will happen in history. Judah will be propelled to be first among his brothers. In fact, because of this trade-off, that let me remain instead of my brother. He begins to serve as a foreshadow of the Messiah, what the other one from the tribe of Judah would do in years to come, where he would say, I will be the substitution. You let this one go. You take my life, but these ones, please set them free, which is the great substitutionary um, sacrifice that Jesus did, the great exchange at the cross, carried out of an, uh, uh, um, made out of a miscarriage of justice, the righteous for the unrighteous. You kill the one who is innocent and let go the one who is guilty. And if you remember the story of the cross, there was an evil guy called Barabbas. Okay? And Barabbas was, was guilty of insurrection, rebellion, and murder. All of those carried capital punishment. He could have been killed thrice over for every one of them. Okay? So he was completely guilty. But guess what happened at that injustice? Jesus, who Pilate said is innocent, this man has done nothing deserving death. He said that three times. Meaning he was completely innocent. Could find nothing wrong. He went to the cross and died. He literally died the death of Barabbas. The one who was guilty three times over. And so it's interesting that Judah does this. Judah has at this point not done anything wrong. Didn't steal the cup. The cup was not finding him. But he pleads, please take me. Let me be the one to be your slave and to suffer for the rest of my life. So he laid down his life. But let Benjamin go free. And God first tracks him to now become the first among the brothers. And in many years, we will hear of the lion from the tribe of? Yeah. That completes his redemption. Don't underestimate the power of the choices that you make. Don't underestimate the effect 
of the kindness that you show, the sacrifices that you're willing to make, and what they will do for generations to come. And at that point, God decides, decides you know, my son will come from Judah. It's interesting because you would have expected to come from Joseph. But the switch happens at that point when he decides to become the substitution for his brother. Never mind that he had done something evil. He's the one who came up with the idea of selling him. So even the darkest and, and, and most evil deeds are redeemable in the eyes of God. They are redeemable in the eyes of God. Judah now becomes number one among the brothers. At this point, I think we need also now to, to contemplate um, what it means to do the hard work of the offender. What it takes for you to come full circle to a point where at one point you are the perpetrator, you are the one who is suggesting let's sell this guy. What does it take? What is that journey for you to come full circle and turn around and become this new Judah that we are seeing? The man who is willing to give up his life so that others may have their freedom. Sometimes it's easier to be the forgiver because God requires it of you. But to be the one to retrace your footsteps and make a full confession of what you have done, the offense that you have caused, to contemplate that journey, not to trivialize it, because many times the way we are created, if I have offended Philip here, uh, because I'm human, I'll tend to diminish my offense. Okay? Uh, come on, Philip, you know, it was just one slap. You know, most people I give two to three. <laughs> you are lucky I gave you one. You diminish your offense as a way of, you know, and you say it wasn't that big a deal. But if you ask from Philip's side, the offended party, the pain it has cost him, the humiliation, how he feels diminished, um, what it has done to his self-esteem and who he is. It's not just a slap. It's, 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 it's a lot more. Uh, you've wounded him. And he will take a long time and reflect on it for many days when he thinks about the thing, the way he was treated without dignity. So, so it's a good thing that we take some time as the offenders to contemplate the offense that we caused, the deeds that we have done, of whatever kind. And some of them have been done physically, others have been done spiritually, others emotionally. And there are probably people walking out there who we can describe as wounded spirits because of things we did to them. They feel less than, they feel unworthy. And to fully contemplate what it means to have done that to them. And come before God. And ask for forgiveness from God first. And then contemplate the journey that we need to walk back. Those people that we need to approach. And tell them, I, I need to talk to you. 
Some of them don't even want to see your face. But to have the courage to say, I, I, I need us to have a conversation. I know what I did to you. And I know you don't want to see me. Would you consider just giving me 20 minutes of your time? There are things I need to say to you. And I need your forgiveness. Those things are powerful. And if they grant you audience and you go and you treat them with the dignity that they deserve and show them that you are sorry, truly sorry, and that you get it, you know what you did and what it did to them. And if they need to express their anger, you let them and you don't become defensive. That's a hard journey of forgiveness, the flip side of it. Recognizing, yes, we have been offended and we need to forgive, but we need to be forgiven of the many things we've done. And that means setting aside pride. And you see Judah doing it magnificently. He's nothing before Joseph. My Lord, do not be angry with me. Just let me, give me a chance to just say, whisper some, let me say something. May, may my Lord not be offended by what, 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 what you say. He's careful. He, he curates his word in a way that it's easy for, for Joseph to hear him. And once having had permission, he's truthful. And he speaks and he pleads. No pride. No justification. Say, I have become the pledge. I'm willing. I'm willing to do this. You take me, but let the boy go free. There's a bigger story here. May God give you the courage to do that hard work. Because it's a beautiful thing. And God, if, you, if you've never seen the power of God released, this is how the power of God is released into your life. And it takes a whole different trajectory, a whole different dynamic. Things will begin to happen in your family you have never thought possible. You'll see people hugging and talking and laughing and you will be like a spectator. Hey, these ones can talk. Just last year they wanted to kill each other during Christmas. The power of God. So contemplate that. In chapter 45, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone leave me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians had it and the household of Pharaoh had it. And, and uh, the household of Pharaoh had it. And Joseph said to his brother, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed in his presence. Now look at how the flood of emotions come busting out. He can't contain himself. Why? Because he has seen these are different people. These are not the same people who sold me. They've had their own journey with God. They have completely transformed. They are loving. They are kind. They are forgiving. They are even sacrificial. They are willing to be enslaved for the sake of their sin of one of them, the least of them. So they have collective responsibilities. All of us will become your slaves. Yes, it's Benjamin who sinned, but look, we are before you. And then one of them has even laid down his life and said, let these others go. The redemption of Judah 
at this point. He knows everybody else will be set free except Benjamin. So he offers himself so that he is the one who becomes the slave, but the rest of the children of Israel can go home. So literally, he becomes the redemption of Israel because Israel as a tribe exists at that point in the patriarchs. And these are all the patriarchs, okay? So Judah is going to substitute so that everybody else can go free, set free the nation of Israel, just like Jesus would come and die for the nation of Israel. It's a very powerful picture when you think about it. But Joseph now can't contain himself. He has seen the beautiful and great sacrifice that they are willing to make, you know, and he just bursts out and tells them, this is who I am. I am Joseph. He can finally disclose who he is. And his journey of forgiveness comes to an end. He says, make everyone leave me. And here's an important principle of forgiveness. Forgiveness should be done privately. He doesn't want an audience. He does not want the Egyptians there. It does not concern the Egyptians. This is a family matter. And as far as possible, it should be done within the context and with the people with whom the offense was made. When they were out in the desert, there were no Egyptians, there was no one. It was just him and his brothers. So if there's going to be forgiveness and reconciliation, send everybody else out. This is a matter that concerns me and my brothers. At that point, none of the Egyptians knew what the brothers did. Joseph somehow had managed to protect not just the identity of the brothers, but also their past history. Remember we said last week, he said when he was in jail, oh, I should not be here. In fact, I was kidnapped from the country of, the, um, um, of, of Canaan. And even here in jail, I have done nothing deserving being put in this dungeon. I shouldn't be here. He was telling the, 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 the wine guy, what's, what do you call that guy? The cupbearer. He was telling, remember me to Pharaoh and get me out of this dungeon. He could have spoiled the reconciliation. The first time he saw his brothers, he recognized them. He even heard them talking in, in their dialect in Hebrew, but he pretended to be a stranger and he spoke through an interpreter. So the Egyptians believed, obviously, there's no link between him and these guys because he can't even understand what they're speaking. He could have said, you remember the guys I told you? The ones who sold me. Ndiwawa. <laughs> These ones. Kwanza ule mkubwa. Huyo. That one even wanted to kill me. Huyo. Unamuona hapo. Alafu ule mwingine huyo ndiyo number four. Judah. Huyo. Ule. Eh. This is the one who profited from my sale. These are my... I, I, my own brothers. Mimi. Where I stand. These are mine. You know? Then you even prove and speak Hebrew so that they know that you are not lying. That's what most of us do. You involve people who are not part of the story. And when you do that, what have you done? How easy would it have been for Pharaoh, for example, to say, hiya, Joseph's brothers are here. Oh, bring, bring them over. In fact, he would have called the army. Oh, these ones, Kwanza put them in jail. I know what they did to Joseph. He protects his brothers, he protects his family, 
Nobody knows anything evil went down except him and God. The problem with us is that when we are wronged, we try to marshal as many people as possible on our side so that we can hate on this group of people, you know, who have wronged us. You even form a WhatsApp group, you know, to hate on them. You make the work of healing and reconciliation impossible. Because even when you say you forgive, then you hear, oh, 50 other people know that there is an issue here. So here you are reconciled with your brother, but there are about 30 of his friends who hate you because they know the story. It doesn't concern them. It's none of their business. And so Christian maturity is about doing what to take to God and what to keep to yourself. Here, reconciliation becomes an easy job because no one knows. And when it's time to disclose who he is, all the Egyptians out of the room, this does not concern you. All they hear is wailing. They have no idea what is happening. You know, it's even hard in Pharaoh's house. Then they do the hard work of forgiveness. Here's another principle that he teaches us. Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? The brothers are afraid because being Joseph is not good news at that point. You know, you are the one who did all those things. And now you have all this power. Behold, what shall you do to us? That's a question in their mind. So they are terrified at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. He's drawing them to himself. And they came near, obviously, cautiously. And he said to them, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Forgiveness must be truthful. It's based on truth. You, yeah, you sold me. You did this. I'm Joseph whom you sold, for avoidance of doubt. But again, much as it is truthful, much as it is private, his forgiveness, you see, they've just learned who he is. The forgiveness they receive is very quick. Right? So, don't keep people in suspense. I'll think about it. <laughs> Let's talk about it next year. So that you leave them hamstringed, hanging, not knowing what the outcome will be. And you derive pleasure from not knowing whether they'll be forgiven or not. Immediately he says, I'm your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. So I'm not glossing over it. You did that. But don't be angry about it or distressed. For God sent me before you to preserve life. So my brothers, there was a bigger story. It's not just about you. Yes, what you did was dark and evil and sinful, but God used it redemptively because he had a bigger picture and a bigger purpose than you and I could see. What was that purpose? For the famine has been in the land for two years, and there are five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. And to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. 
He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. So that was the bigger story, brothers. You were doing something evil, but God decided to make, turn it around for good. And this good was actually for you. Even as you did that evil deed, God had you in mind. That one day there will be such a famine and the only person who would rescue you is me, who you had sold. So you think you did this? Yes, you did your part. It was not good. But God redeemed it. And today you can be kept alive because I'm here and I'm in charge. He gives them the God perspective. Because God is not limited even by our sin and our rebellion. He can use that for the greater good. In fact, Joseph will say the famous statement, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Only he can do that. The men who crucified Christ, they meant it for evil. They wanted to get rid of him. He was getting too famous and he was getting too popular. And they thought if we get rid of this guy, then we can have our thing. They meant it for evil. But even as he bled there, he said, Father, forgive them. Because what I'm doing is actually for them. And this is how they get to be part of our family. By doing this great evil to me. So forgiveness also must be quick. He doesn't hamstring them. He doesn't keep them pending. He doesn't guilt trip them. He simply says, do not be distressed. Yes, you did this. But you know, there's a God story. And he tells the God story. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says Joseph, your son Joseph, God has made me Lord over Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You, your children and your children's children. So it's not just, it was really for you. This did. And your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There, there I will provide for you, for there are five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do, uh, do not come to poverty. And now your eyes can see, and your, the eyes of my brother Benjamin can see that it is I who is speaking to you. You must tell my father of all the honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Just imagine how unlikely an ending this is to a story that was disastrous. You would think there would be no redemption for this. That there would be no upside having done what they did conclusively and moved on. And, and this is a beautiful story because it shows us there is no situation, there is no family, there is no complexity that is irredeemable. God's hand is not too short to save. But what limits that salvation is that our unwillingness to walk down the road of forgiveness. Our reluctance to make the right choices. Even when we can see that these choices are bringing death. The hardness of your heart. The way you treat your spouse. 
the indignity in the home. You can see it has brought death. People have withdrawn and become less than who they were supposed to be. But because of pride and the power of bad habits, you persist. So for those situations, redemption cannot come. But weigh it against these results. How important is your pride that you hold on to something that brings death? You hold on to something that pro pro prohibits this beauty, this power of reconciliation and the beauty of seeing people who have not seen each other for ages. Men who are willing to kill now embrace and hug and cry over each other. A flood of love. And you know, these are hard Middle Eastern men who are crying. These are not softy guys. These are, you know, shepherds, even in the Old Testament, in the ancient Near East, these were hard people. You know, they spent their days out in the open. They fought bears and lions like we know about David. So these are not softy guys. These are hard men. That's why they can't think twice. When they wanted to kill Joseph, they threw him inside and then they sat down to eat. <laughs> so it's not a big deal. And he's their own brother. He's not even an enemy. Imagine in the presence of an enemy. But, but when, when, when God's image is restored in the hearts of men and in the hearts of women who are willing to submit themselves to the cause of God, beautiful things happen like what we witness here. And some of us have relatives we cannot even be in the same room with. That's not how God meant it. And that you should not resign yourself to that situation. It's not a done deal. How about you become the one to do the hard work? How about you become the Judah in your tribe? And say, you know what? I'll do this. I'll take the humiliation. I'll humble myself. I'll go to that family and I'll apologize. I'll tell them I know what we did to you. I know it was wrong. For some of you, it's probably even not you. It could be the past generation. You need to go and say, look, I know. I know what went down. And I know that's why we, we don't talk. Okay? But we don't have to live like this. And, and be willing to do what Judah did. My life for your life. I will lay down my pride. I will lay down my anger. I will lay down my sense of justice and, right, and righteousness and not avenge myself. I leave it to God. Look at the beauty of what can happen. And then consider what a little price God is asking you to pay. And mostly it doesn't have to do with much. It has to do with pride. You know, you don't want to look less than the other people. You don't want to be the one to ask for forgiveness. You don't want to be the one to take initiative. You're so used to being the one in charge. You cannot relinquish your power and look like you are in need. And so the image of God in your family remains broken. And many in your family remain wounded. And they never fulfill their full purpose. 
How selfish can we be? Why not be the Judah? The righteous for the unrighteous. That we would attain the freedom that God wants. Consider this. Consider the choices you need to make. And consider what God has done for you. Being made in, being found in the very image of God, he counted godliness nothing, not anything to be grasped at, but he made himself nothing. He emptied himself of his glory, his power, his majesty, his divinity, and became nothing. Being found in presence like a man, like a servant. He submitted himself to death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, God gave him the name that is above every name. Consider what is possible. And what God can do through you if you just lay down your pride, your desire to be avenged, and all those things. And you say, God, you know what? I'll trust you. I'll trust you. Amen? Amen. The Lord bless you.